Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series on follow. These first weeks of the series, we've been thinking about specific examples of unhealthy leadership and, and what unhealthy leadership teaches. For example, legalism and license. Those are the two that we've been focused on. But tonight we're going to think more what drives these leaders. Oftentimes the leaders, whether they're being super strict like we were talking about last week or, or super loose on morals like the week before, are being driven by a desire to promote themselves, to, to offer a message that will gather followers and make themselves important over other people. And tonight we're going to think about that very specifically because the Bible calls those of us who lead to not be focused on ourselves and, and all of us lead in some capacity. So we all need to be thinking about it and how am I going to approach other people, but also should speak to us as we look to leaders. What are they showing? Because we're also all going to be led to some extent. We're going to have those whom we follow, those whom we respect and we allow to speak into our lives. What are they showing? Let's think about that tonight. And as we do, let's come before our God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to have discerning hearts, hearts that, that see when when the, those who lead us and teach us have you in their their focus and when they have themselves in their focus. And when we have the opportunity to lead, Lord, would you help us to have you as our focus and not ourselves? We, we want to focus on ourselves and our self-interest, but Father, would you help us Tends to be servants like our Savior Jesus has shown. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about this series and, and preparing it over the last few weeks, this is maybe the heart of the problem that we're talking about all series long. And, and as I was thinking this weekend about what we were going to talk about tonight, I was listening to an interview in the pregame for the St. Louis Cardinals, which, of course, you should have been listening to, too, because the St. Louis Cardinals are the best baseball team ever. And one of the interesting little bits, you hear all kinds of old players and, and others interviewed. One of them was Joe Torre, the, the former manager of the St. Louis Cardinals in the 1990s. And, and he was being interviewed on his success, not so much with the Cardinals. He wasn't super successful with the Cardinals, but with the Yankees after the Cardinals. And he was asked, what's it like to manage players and how do you do it well? And something that he said is that he never forgets what it was like to be a player himself. And he talked about how he'd had times where he was a super successful player, but he'd also had times where he was a struggling player, where things weren't going well. And so, for example, he'd often been criticized as a manager of showing a lack of emotion. But he said he did that because... When the cameras would catch him during a game, he didn't want his players who maybe were struggling or who had just made a bad play to see the replay and think that he was angry at them. He wanted them to understand that he knew what it was like to be in their position and to make mistakes. He was focused on what it was like for the people whom he was leading. Pride could have gotten more glory in the moment by being more focused on himself. But that isn't what he did, and he became an incredibly successful manager. Too often in the church, what we see are, are leaders who aren't remembering what it's like to be just an average everyday Christian, even though all of us, whether we're leading a huge church or, or nothing at all, and, and again, as I mentioned earlier, we all are probably showing leadership in some spot, but if, even if we don't really feel like it, 
the problem in too much of Christian leadership is is forgetting what it's like to be normal, even though we're all actually just the same before God. And so you see leaders who focus more and more on wanting those who aren't in that particular leadership position to look up to them and to respect them and to build them up. And that becomes the focus rather than what we all need, which is help in seeking our God, help in doing what he's called us to do and help in looking more like Jesus, who was the perfect example of being a servant as a leader, of remembering what it's like to be out on the playing field. Because Jesus came onto the playing field even though he didn't need to, so that he could go through it with us. And so let's go ahead and turn, as Jesus critiques those who are seeking honor, the honor of men, seeking the honor and glory of this world, rather than seeking to be servants of our servant Lord. Let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 20. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and as he often does, he's criticizing the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and here's what he says. He says, in, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who, walk, who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. He's talking here of, they're sometimes called the teachers of the law, sometimes they're referred to as lawyers, sometimes as scribes. You have these educated people who have studied the scriptures, who know what God's law looks like, and they're there to teach the people of Israel about it. So they're sort of like, if you want to think about it that way, the managers of the people of God. They're those who are, are coaching them, who are helping them, in theory at least, to understand what it looks like to be people of God. But what are they doing? They're, 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 yeah, they're, they're teaching the people, but they're teaching the people in a way that ensures that the people are busy looking up to them. And, and so, for example, Jesus says they like to wear long robes. And, and maybe our, our, our first thought when we, we read that is, oh, he, he doesn't like traditional churches where people wear preaching gowns when they're preaching. And that's not what he has in mind, necessarily, at least. He, he's not speaking about a particular style of clothing. What he's talking about is that they chose to wear the the clothing of the rich, of the powerful. You see, if you had a long robe on in this time, you weren't really set to do any kind of hard work, the sort of work that average everyday people would be doing. And so it was a way of saying, I'm important. You should pay attention to me. I'm set apart, and, and not set apart in the sense of I, I'm trying to keep my focus on God. We're, we're set apart as Christians, but... I'm set apart because I'm important. Respect me. Honor me. And they not only wear these important-looking clothes, but they do it in, in busy places where, where, like the marketplace that Jesus mentions, where, where people would see them and they'd have to greet them and they'd say, Oh, hello, important scribe. Aren't you wonderful? Teach me something. And, and so, in a sense, you, they've taken something that could be good. Here they are. They, they're teaching the law and they're teaching it and, and they're going into the places where the people are. But they're using it not to ensure that, that the people understand who God is and how to follow him, but, but rather so that people can talk about how great that scribe is. And in that, it goes on, they, they, they distort what God has called them to do in all sorts of ways. We, we see here that he says that they, they not only have these long robes, but they've also gotten these other clothes or other bits of adornment that they've misinterpreted the Old Testament about. Take a look at Matthew 23, 5, another place where Jesus makes a very similar critique. 
He says of the, these men, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. What's a phylactery? Let's take a look at a picture here. Here's a phylactery. If you look at this, this gentleman's forehead, he has this thing right on his forehead, this box-like thing, and a phylactery would be a thing that would hold little bits of the Torah, the, the law of God. And so it, it's picking up on where God says to put his law on your forehead, on your wrist. You can also see there's something wrapped around his one arm that would lead up to his hand where he'd have another phylactery holding the law on his hand. Now, a lot of scholars look back at where that's said in the Old Testament and say, well, God's speaking metaphorically. In other words, have his law all over you. Don't Don't let go of it. But they took it quite literally, and they made these little adornments they could wear. But when, when Jesus talks about what these scribes are, are wearing, they they have not only these literal bits of the law on themselves, but they do so in a way that's as big as possible so people can't help but miss it. Now, in some sense, that almost could seem comical, and yet they were doing it not to be funny about it, but rather so that no one could miss who they were. They were the more holy people, the people that you should respect. Average everyday people didn't walk around with a phylactery on their forehead all the time, and certainly not a large one, but they could. And they didn't need to worry about whether it was practical to wear it while, again, doing heavy labor or anything, because they weren't going to do it. They were important. They wanted everyone to know it. And in that, then, their, their point that they were centered on wasn't teaching God's law, but making sure everyone knew that they were teachers of God's law. To say, you should respect me. You respect God, so you should respect me. I'm important. Honor me. Now, there's another problem that emerges, and we need to address this first one, but they're tied together. And we see this in John chapter 12, because when that's what you're being driven by as a teacher you start to worry more about what people think than what's true. Notice what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 42. Or rather what John reports. He says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, that is Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If your whole purpose and your whole way of being, your, your clothes you wear, the, the adornments you're putting on, your style of speech, everything you're doing is meant to get honor from people, then what do you worry about? Well, you're, when you're talking to the everyday people, you can talk down to them and make them feel like they can't do as well as you can. But you also want to make sure you're towing the line of your fellow important people so that they don't reject you and somehow strip that honor away from you in the sight of, of everybody else. If, if you're saying, well, the other teachers of the law aren't being faithful to God's word, they're going to reject you, and then you're not going to receive that honor. So, so something very dangerous happens when someone starts to focus on themselves as a teacher of God's word. It starts to matter more, will the others who have power accept me so that I can maintain my power, rather than, am I doing what's good and true? If you've been in church government at some point in your life, you've probably seen this, and it's incredibly disturbing, and it makes one very cynical. A few years ago, I was involved in an organization that was supposed to oversee pastors, and there was something terribly wrong going on, and I brought it up to the leadership and said, this terribly wrong thing is going on. We need to deal with it because it's hurting 
people that we've committed to protect. And something that, that was said to me really is stuck in my head. One of the leaders who'd been in, in this organization for quite a long time said, I wouldn't bother to bring that up because probably many of the other leaders have done the exact same thing and they're not going to want to investigate it. It'd just make their own situation uncomfortable. They're going to reject it and it's just going to be hard on you. There's a huge momentum against trying to do anything that would criticize the those who are in power in the church oftentimes. And how sad is that? The church isn't about building up the power for the teachers or the pastors or or the important elders or deacons or anyone else. It's about us all coming before the God who sacrificed his power for us. Yet so often we do exactly what we saw these teachers of the law. Where it's more important about making sure that we still have the glory of human beings. And so we see here that even many of them who became convinced that Jesus was true, Jesus was the Messiah, that they should be following him, kept it secret. Why? Because if they said something, they might lose their seat of honor. And so here God himself was incarnate in front of them and they didn't do anything about it because they might lose the glory of man. We see that in the church today. And as those in the church, we should reject it. We should unfollow that because it's wrong and it's displeasing to God. And it, it bleeds out in all sorts of ways. Not only is it causing those leaders themselves to consume themselves with their selfish desires and allowing harm to be done and false teaching to be done and all kinds of horrible things to be being done, it also causes them to oppose. And if we buy into ourselves, causes us to oppose those who speak the truth. We see that, for example, in John's third letter. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. What do we see when, when there's that opposition to speaking the truth? What do we see when there's opposition to having accountability in the church? What do we see in all these sorts of situations? Not only is it all about the leaders and building themselves up and trying to get honor from the other leaders, but then there's a resistance to anyone who won't tow the status quo, even when the status quo is clearly in contrast to God's word. And that's what we see here. Here is the Apostle John, and he's being opposed by this leader in the church. And anyone who is, is a friend of the gospel, anyone who's faithful to the same teaching that John is teaching, is cast out, is, is thrown out of the church. Anyone that wants to come into the church is unwelcome. How disturbing is that? And yet it didn't just happen in John's time. It happens today. And it happens all too often. <clears throat> How can that happen today, though, we might say? Why would anyone follow a leader who will do that? And yet many of us have probably been sucked into the orbit of some of those leaders at some point. If you've been in the church, at some point you've probably experienced that. And if you haven't been in the church, you've probably at least found yourself being drawn into the orbit of some other sort of leader that has the same sort of selfish ambition. It's just uglier when it's in the church because it's the last thing we should be doing in the church. Why do we do it? Why do we find those sorts of leaders attractive? Why do we find leaders who act narcissistic attractive and, and want them and want to hold on to them and to follow them? Why doesn't it just immediately nauseate us and cause us to run the other way? I think it's the same thing that happens when you go into the store. 
it, when you go in and, and say you're you're shopping, this is a well-documented thing, for example, in the cereal aisle, you have these giant boxes with beautiful colors on them and, of course, enlarged to show texture cereal and so on. And then you have down at the other end of the aisle the budget cereals that are in bags. Now, oftentimes those budget cereals are made by the same companies that make the, the beautiful box cereals, but people go and they spend several dollars more on the beautiful box cereal. Why? Well, it looks like you're getting more. There's the beautiful colors in the box itself, but then you open the box and you pull out the bag and the bag's half full and, and the box is a bunch of air. And you realize that if you actually took that bag down next to the other box cereals, it would actually look worse. But it looks so beautiful in the presentation. And oftentimes the leaders who are, are most focused on building up themselves are like those boxes of cereal. They look important. They look huge. They look like they can do so much for us. And, and they, they teach these doctrines, whether it's the legalism we were talking about last week or the moral laxity the week before, or, or at least in some sense, because everything's about them, they can speak with this very clear sense because just follow me and everything will come together that appears very attractive, even though we're buying into a large empty box with just a little little filling inside of it. It looks better oftentimes, sadly, than God's word as it really is because these leaders take God's word with all its nuance and boil it down into something simple. If all it really matters is you just listen to this leader and the leader is going to always lead you faithfully, that sounds a lot easier than going to someone who says, well, let's think about what God's word has to say about this. And let's wrestle with difficult situations together. And, and sometimes even those dreaded words, I'm not sure. Maybe I need to look into this more. We, we want to hear leaders who just have clarity. And, and yet when someone says, just follow me rather than follow Jesus, we should run. We need to ask what really matters. Is it the content inside or is it the beautiful box and the packaging? We need to actually be concerned with the substance and the substance needs to be God's word and nothing else. But so often we fall into this trap. And as we do, we help these leaders to feed the monster of self-advancement because their concern is, is receiving this honor and so they'll even put God's commands just trample them, just run over them, if it means advancing themselves. And that's what we see in verse 47 of Luke 20. Jesus says that these self-important leaders devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. What's Jesus talking about here? And he's not only concerned with widows, but he certainly is concerned with widows. And the point there is that widows in this time would have been one of the weakest most vulnerable groups in the entire society. They had no way to earn income for themselves. They, they had lost their husband. Perhaps they'd also lost their children. They were desolate and they needed someone to help them. And these leaders, in, in theory, should have been helping them. They could teach them about the law and the protections that God's word had for them. But, but some of them, it's thought, would actually agree to help a widow. And while they couldn't directly take payment for their teaching... They could offer to sort of advocate for the widow and then take a fee for that. Or maybe they just showed a lack of concern because the widows weren't important. It depended on the situation. But the clear thing is, time and again, and we see this throughout Scripture, that many of those who are the most poor and oppressed and least important were viewed very much as the least important in the eyes 
of the leadership, even though that's a worldly view because to God, they were the, those who should be protected. They weren't focused on their neighbor, contrary to God's commands. They were focused on what could advance themselves and these unimportant people couldn't do that. Watch out for leaders who only see someone as important if that person can do something for them. Listen to what's, what God's word says. Proverbs 15, verse 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Again, Isaiah 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. The fatherless and the widow, again, are those who are most vulnerable. It's not necessarily as apparent today. Someone who's a widow could uh, find success in our society in ways maybe that weren't possible then. But what we should see there is a placeholder for everyone, whether it's a widow, whether it's an orphan, whether it's someone who's just impoverished, whether it's someone who is in some group that's not respected in a particular part of culture. Whatever it should be that would put someone at a disadvantage in our society, we should seek to help them and show God's love to them and help them to experience God's love. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were so focused on themselves that didn't serve as interest to them. Maybe if anything, they'd go to these who are these people who are vulnerable and say, well, you're vulnerable, but, but you can at least show your great importance to God by giving more that they really didn't have to give. Or maybe they saw these people struggling and they saw them struggling to give and they saw them struggling to observe some of the laws. And, and rather than showing mercy, they showed a, a severe strictness because it at least made them feel important. And those who were in power could look and is that's someone that isn't in my group. So go ahead show your your insistence on the law towards that person. It was all about show. It was all about building up power. It wasn't about building up the people of God. And any leader that does that is someone who is unfit to be a leader in God's church. Likewise, Jesus says, don't follow those who, who pray long ceremonial prayers. And here, we it's not about setting a clock and if you pray for 20 seconds, you're okay. If you pray for a minute, you're questionable. If you pray for 10 minutes, oh boy. What it really is about is what's the heart of the person? You see, these, these teachers of the law, they weren't praying to to come before God and plead with him and have fellowship with him and experience God's presence. They were praying these long prayers so that the people around them would say, well, I could never pray that long. This person is really impressive. He must be super spiritual. I should follow him. Again, it's like that giant box that's holding a little bag of cereal. It, it, we get impressed by that packaging and we think, well, I couldn't do that, so it must be really good. But we need to ask the question, and we should ask the question of ourselves as, as we find ourselves in leadership positions on how we're measuring our own success and, our, and what we're doing and whether it's good. And we should certainly ask that as we, we find ourselves in a church or a ministry or any other situation, especially a Christian situation, that are we giving honor to people because they're creating this beautiful package? Or are we following people and are we respecting them because they're actually pointing us closer to God. Because they're actually doing what God has called them to do. Does faithfulness, does, does adhering to God's word matter more to me than worldly success? Does, does faithfulness matter more than the easy answers? We all like winners. We all like those who, who look holy. But are we actually following those who are holy? 
because that's what Jesus has called us to do, to follow those who actually want to be near to him. Notice just after this instruction in Luke, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus is said to have looked up and, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Jesus often set himself up in a place where he could demonstrate what he'd been talking about. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, she wouldn't have been noticed, but those wealthy coming in, those important, powerful brokers of society would have been noticed that they're offering their huge, exorbitant offerings that were actually a small fraction of what they had. But this widow would have been ignored. Jesus said, that's what kingdom leadership looks like. That's what you should be following, is that sort of humility and utter dedication to who it is that you say that you love and you follow. And we see that Jesus himself did this. Philippians 2, 3, we, we know this passage, and yet somehow we forget it when measuring Christian leaders. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus did. That's the mindset that we're called to have. Why in the world do we follow leaders who don't show that and continue to follow them and invite others to follow them? It's because they offer the easy answers or the glitz and the glamour of the world. But they're not actually drawing us or anyone else closer to the kingdom. We need to know what we're actually looking at. What are we looking at here? Uh, According to a famous astrophysicist, I believe it was, or or someone else who's been working with this new space telescope, I think it was an astrophysicist, this is an impressive picture of a sun that's in a distant galaxy, and there's all kinds of interesting things that that we we could learn about the world by seeing some of these new photographs and how the universe works and the way that physics works and so on. And, and so anyway, this person went on for a while, but it turned out to be a joke. If you look closely, this isn't a sun, this is a, a slice of chorizo sausage. And people got really angry because they thought this person was serious about this. And what he was really showing them was his lunch. So often, though, it's not a joke. Someone's showing us their lunch when they're claiming to show us the Son of God. And what we need to do is be discerning in our own minds and our hearts and ask for God's spirit that we take his word and we say, am I looking at a piece of sausage or am I looking at you, God? Because we follow that sausage. We follow that because it looks impressive and it seems to feed what we want. We want these answers. We want to see things. And so often because it builds in human favor, we start to feel really good about it. But we should want God's favor and favor God's commands. And we should follow those and and click the follow button, the like button, when people are actually turning us towards God. We're called to unfollow when people are turning us away from God and to themselves and to the world. May we pray tonight that we have the discernment to do that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to value what you value, to care for the poor and the oppressed, to, to care about truth, and not importance, to care about your glory and not glory from man. May we do that. May we be those who, as we follow, do that, and those as we lead who do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hope this has been an encouragement to you. And if it has, if you'd give it a like or a share and, and help others to contemplate, this is a super important issue for us to be thinking about as a church. And I encourage you to help encourage others to be a part of that conversation by sharing this tonight. Next week, we'll be thinking about worldly philosophies and how they get incorporated into the church. And that's been woven in the last few weeks, but we're going to confront it head on next week. And I hope that you'll join me for that. Also on Sunday, we are beginning a brand new series during our in-person worship at Little Hills at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday. It'll be live streamed and in-person, Citizens of Joy, picking up where we've been on Steadfast in months past, going through Philippians 1 and 2. We're going to Philippians 3 and thinking what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Hope you'll join us for that starting on Sunday. If there's any way I can be praying for you, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or leave a comment in the comments below. It's so great to hear from you, to pray for you. I truly hope you have a blessed week and I'll see you again hopefully on Sunday and again next Monday.